Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have our friend, freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. We also welcome back freelance writer, TJ Hafer. I'm not your friend? Uh, no, you're <laughs> just a freelance writer. We, we demoted you from friend status. Like, I'm very sorry. Uh, Bosom Buddy is available if, okay. if you I, want it. But... I'll, take, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. You okay, know. so yeah. so we welcome our bosom buddy. Uh, this is a very Anne of Green Gables opening to the show. Our bosom friend, uh, TJ Hafer. Hello, hello. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the things that hate us, I guess, for, for lack of a, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from Atmosphere. Uh, we're we're going to be sort of discussing our pet peeves, uh, but that might not even be the right way to think of it. For me, when I was thinking about this topic, it was more like, what are the things when you encounter them in a game, particularly strategy games, but you know, we can throw it open a, a little bit for a topic like this, but what are the things like when you encounter them immediately give you that sinking feeling that like, you know, the game might, might still turn out okay, but you immediately have that, oh no, it's going to be like this, isn't it? Uh, what are the things that give you that kind of reaction? So that's kind of what I want to talk about. Like, what are the things that, that sort of zap us uh, when, when we encounter them in a game and make us want to, uh, to, to bail out early, perhaps? Uh, so, so, like, you know, Rowan, TJ, let's throw it over to you. Uh, do you have, like, do you have these sort of pet peeves? Do you, do you sort of read warning signs into certain things uh, when you find them in a game? I mean, when you get the press release that says thousands of ship customization <laughs> options. Oh, no, you're just, you're just pandering to me, Rowan. I, that's, that, I assume that's why I'm on the show, is that we are totally in sync on the ship customization. Uh, but like that's that's one of the big things I see with strategy games, is the, the over-customization, um, if that's treated as like one of the key selling points. Like, I don't don't mind a little bit of customization but um that's not really where i want my kind of mental energy to be going um so yeah that's that's one of the simplest red flags that you know pops up in press releases or in early play of something what um like is that just like are we specifically talking about like ship unit customization or uh in general do you just not want to be fussing around with like say faction designers and such in a game like is it just customization in general or is they are there a particular like kind of customization that you find like objectionable uh i feel like the unit customization um like i definitely didn't like it in um uh, fallen empires that's the right one right the stardock game um but it, there's a fantasy game um elemental fallen enchantress, fallen enchantress yes mm, yeah. yes um i knew fallen empires wasn't quite right um but yeah the fantasy game where you know you could make your spearmen have leather armor or iron armor or whatever and i just thought that was utterly pointless unfortunately the game was pretty good if you just ignored that so, but um it's sort of this idea that like I all I usually feel like grand strategy games are kind of over focused on over focus your energy on combat um, and just like tactical decisions are usually the most um, theoretically interesting and 
like just most time spent on it and then adding unit customization on top of that tends to make it so that like here is a game that isn't a war game but you're spending 90 percent of your time on war or planning for war and that's that that's a little iffy to me usually there are times where like if that's all the game is um and this is sort of a general philosophy of mine it's then that's okay but um i can't think of a strategy game like that off the top of my head yeah, I mean, the closest I've ever come to, to really just kind of missing the, uh, the 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 point of a game. Um, no, I don't think I, I don't think it was necessarily I came close to it. I think I probably did miss the point of uh, gratuitous tank battles uh, because when I played that, I sort of approached it as it was like a tower defense game, but with unit customization, and I found that to be kind of obnoxious and and like difficult to fiddle with. And then we had um, then we had Cliff on the show, and he was like, "No, it's a customization game with tower defense," um, which sounds semantic, but really isn't. Like it, the the point of that game was to sort of build different tank models and build different turret models, and then sort of pit them against each other. Um, and I think if I hadn't approached that game coming off a re, like this was sort of peak tower defense. So I was sort of approaching it off a run of like pretty good tower defense games. And here was a tower defense game with this sort of novel twist. And I hated that novel twist. So I just, I just started really uh, sort of turn against the game. And I think maybe if I'd approached it as more of a, um, it's a customization game with then this, uh, th- this contest where you sort of pit your designs against the enemy. I think that would have, that would have clicked more for me, but in general, I'm not sure there are a ton of of like customization focused games that can be um, really enriching strategy experiences, right? I, I kind of feel like they they maybe come one comes at the at the expense of the other. Uh, but put some friend TJ, uh, what are what are <laughs> what are your feelings about customization? Because you seem like the sort of guy I think who could get behind it. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been listening to you guys talk, and I'm I'm like I really don't mind um, any any of the stuff you're referring to. I might be might be that I'm more of like a an RP geek, and when I'm playing any strategy game, I'm imagining you know the men on the ground and like what you know what conversation they had over breakfast before they went out to you know fight the aliens that morning or whatever. So I like little touches that allow me to like interact with the world in a visual way man you must have I, just adored stellaris then <laughs> or something like i we haven't talked about it on this show but i have had uh i have had my my disagreements with rowan over stellaris uh for sure i i i've, I've which walked, is why you're always streaming hearts of iron instead i i've walked back wow. a little bit on my initial strongly pro stellaris stance but i still think it's a really really good game um i i maybe was a little too hyped about it when it first came out but i i still think it's a really good game but but that that ability to like customization lets you connect with these games on that sort of narrative yeah. or imaginative level uh that, well, that you want to well what i've always said is what draws me to games is that they tell stories in ways other media can't like that's the number one thing that's the number one reason i'm a gamer and the number one reason I went into games as a career is because I'm interested in the way they tell stories, whether that be, you know, the Bioware style, you know, highly handcrafted, or if it's more of an emergent thing, which I've got into more recently since becoming a Crusader Kings addict. Um, But yeah, I I like 
I like little touches like that 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 uh, I don't feel like they take away from the gameplay as long as they're not like forced upon you. Like if you do just want to jump in and play a match or something, you don't have to like equip every single type of troop that you have in your army with, you know, whatever armor and weapons beforehand. Like I like to not ha- have that as a necessity, but to have it as an option. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of a sticky wicket, right? Because I, I like, I think I used to have a, like maybe right now because I'm, I'm trying to just uh, be sort of, it, it's hot. I'm trying to stay even keeled. Uh, I've got a pretty monstrous gin and tonic here with me. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm feeling a bit expansive, uh, a bit, I'm looking charitably, like a sort of a fond drunken uncle on, uh, <laughs> on customization mechanics and strategy games. And I think in the past I've, I've sort of probably, I've probably made absolutist statements like, you know, they're almost inherently garbage. Uh, but, but here's the here's the thing. This is the sticky wicket that I'm just I just find it such a difficult problem to solve. You said like you don't necessarily want to be forced to do it, but you like to have it there as an option. I think you end up in a really you have a really difficult problem when you're leaving the player these possibilities. This possibility of um, making things a little more efficient. Uh, make yeah. things work a little better or more in line with their play style. But at the same time, that system also has to kind of be extraneous because the player has to be able to be effective without touching any of that. And I think that's, man, like, I, like it's not impossible, but boy, it does seem like that, that is a tough balance to strike uh, for, for, for an audience, and I think it's, it just seems so easy to, to get that balance wrong where you're either forcing people to spend their strategy gaming time uh, knee-deep in a, in a ship designer or a tank designer, uh, or you've turned that system into basically just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of just like a meaningless uh, set of, like, Lego toys that will all play the same anyway. Yeah, well, I think... Sort of the impression I get is is that you can't really make a strategy game people won't break, at least a single-player strategy game. I mean, someone is going to figure out how to eke out that those little tiny bits of efficiency that are going to trivialize the core mechanics. And I I mean, not everybody's going to be able to do it, but there's, there's always going to be that guy that figures that out. And I feel like there definitely is a balance you have to strike in terms of, like, how... How much effectiveness can the average person who spends an average amount of time in the unit designer get, you know, over, you know, over the curve, as opposed to you know the guy that's done you know all the spreadsheets and and spends like that is the game to them is basically figuring yeah. out how to break the game. Um, so it is a de- delicate balance to strike, but I I think it can be done well. I don't I don't by any means think it's inherently garbage. No, I think it's not inherently garbage. I think it mostly just ends up on the pile. Uh, Rowan, why do you? Why does it? Why does it strike such a bad chord with you, though? I thought of a good example of a game that does customization, and it okay. hasn't. I mean, I mentioned it making fun of TJ, but Hearts <laughs> of Iron Four. Uh, like, I don't think of that as like a unit customization game, 
or having the unit customization of the sort that I dislike, like a Space 4X game loves to do, or something like that, because sort of the entirety of the game are these looping systems that go into making that unit customization a directly relevant part of your experience, as opposed to a thing that you might want to do if you could maybe make that more efficient or not. I don't know, maybe. Um, So when you have this game where your economy is building these tanks and weapons and so on, and then trying to have your manpower balance out properly and um, get the best units you possibly can or the most units you possibly can. Like these are a bunch of interesting kind of um, gameplay loops and decisions that go into saying, you know, I want to make, I want to add heavy tanks to my light tank unit and see what happens. And, you know, that's, that becomes much more than just a, heavy tanks are more efficient it becomes a okay do i have enough heavy tanks going do i have enough oil and rubber do i is this a good use of my manpower should i make an entirely different heavy tank thing so you have the all these decisions happening that you know one of those is going to be interesting and one of those is going to be rewarding probably and if you have a game that doesn't have that where it's just like oh by the way you know if you change platinum to adamantium then your ships will take two weeks longer to build um that's not a particularly interesting loop so i think that's a really good point and i i yeah i I think absolutely one reason uh you know you say it's these like looping systems that that all sort of are, are interdependent I think one reason I sort of dig that, and I I, I only sort of thought of it as thought of it as customization because really it fell more under the heading of like logistics or production efficiency uh, more than customization, right? Because it wasn't like Hearts of Iron is actually kind of clever. It's not like you're just sitting there in your unit designer or your division designer screwing around. Like every change you make, you immediately see the way it ties back to those other systems. And you sort of feel the sort of the jerk on the leash, right? Like, well, uh, if I if I make armor divisions with like this many heavy tanks, uh, basically I'm not going to be able to field a full strength armor division for like a year and a half. Uh, so, what do you want to do with that? How like how do you want to deploy this limited supply of um, of resources? And and likewise, uh, you know, if you want to, how much experience are you willing to burn? on one of these templates. And and the other thing I, I like in Hearts of Iron is that teching up isn't this automatic, like, night and day difference. Like, there's a lot to be said for just staying on an older tank design because you've got the production line set up and you can just keep churning out, like, endless numbers. And, yes, they will perform worse, but there's going to be a million of them. And so it, it, it doesn't really matter. Whereas a lot of times I feel like in your fantasy and in your sci-fi games, uh, technology shifts are so predominant that it kind of feels like, well, you can customize, but, but really like the, the main decision we've left for you is, uh, you know, you are going to have to by hand swap out your crappy old weapons for the, for the big new ones. And that's the that's the part that that really matters here. And then maybe we'll force you to play some sort of silly Tetris game to make it all fit. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think for me, it, it might just be conditioning that like I've disliked this sort of system in so many games at this point that when I see it, 
I just start having flashbacks to things like, I don't know, Legends of Pegasus or, or something like that. Uh, but I, I also just think a lot of times when I see a system like that, it's, a, it's kind of a warning sign that, well, this, this entire game is probably structured for people who like very different things. Uh, than I do. And that's probably going to, that's a sign that probably a lot of decisions that were made for this game uh, are also not going to really uh, mesh well with with what I'm looking for uh, in a strategy game. Uh, but, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's unit customization. Uh, you know, we're, we're always down, down to bash on that. Uh, TJ, you're, 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 you're a pretty agreeable fellow, which is why we're bosom friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what, what, what do you hate? Well, the first thing that came to mind for me in terms of especially real time strategy, and you'll have to let me know if I'm being like overly closed minded or unfair about this. But if I get into an RTS and I try to start using like the standard StarCraft like command and conquer controls that we all know and have all been using for years now and they don't work like the way I select units is not the same I can't create control groups the way I'm used to like all of the the you know the, the paradigms of how you control an RTS army or how you control your base in an RTS game are not you know I, it it feels like I'm like getting in my car and hitting the gas pedal and nothing's happening it's like oh man you're really you're you're doing an RTS game like you you specifically wanted to do this style of game and you're going to make me learn an all new set of controls like you're that, real that close to bad mouthing gray goo man if this if that's where this is going <laughs> um, well i uh, like gray goo that was that was a that was one specific thing i did not like about gray goo i did like that game a lot in general go back and listen to the gray goo episode of, of of this very podcast um yeah i i i feel like if if there's an established paradigm and you don't have to change it like why why would you change it why would you make me learn a new set of controls if it doesn't actually like improve my ability to do what I want to do with these units or with these structures or with my economy like that that's always just been a red flag for me that maybe the the developers you know were just trying to be different from the sake of being different and and that the rest of this game could end up going downhill because of that mindset yeah i mean i think that's kind of for me, like, there's a lot of that's that's not just to strategy games. Like when you you see it less often now, but occasionally you'd come across first person shooters that just had like needlessly iconoclastic like control schemes yeah, where it yeah. wasn't like WASD or something like that, or it would or like they, there'd just be like weird like crouch commands or like grenade throwing commands, and it just it never felt right and always felt weird, and it was like why like. Like, or, justify this decision. Or inventory management in RPGs. Like, this even goes out to, like, how we use desktop computers. Like, you left-click to, like, move or interact with things, and you right-click to bring up a context menu. And when I play an RPG where it's like, oh, yeah, you have to alt-click to bring up the crafting menu for this specific item, and then you shift-right-click if you want to move, like, a certain number. Like, it's it's it doesn't make sense to me that you would make it more complicated when there's a way that people already know how to do this. Yeah, that's that's actually now that I think now that I think of it, like there's lots of genres and RTS is particularly one of them where I will 
just always start sort of instinctively doing things, just using RTS intuition. And when those things don't work, it can be extraordinarily frustrating. I think like the most recent experience I had like this was probably with um, a little bit like with Ashes of the Singularity, uh, which mm-hmm. was going for like, and maybe that's a little unfair, right? Because like Ashes of the Singularity was trying for this interesting system where like your army sort of shared one brain and you controlled the army and you committed units to the army, but you didn't control the units necessarily. An interesting idea. Uh, but I always felt like, at least like for the first like several hours with it, I always felt like, man, there were a lot of times when I sure wished it just behaved a little more like a regular RTS and I could like grab those units I saw right there and, and make them do the thing I wanted uh, without having to sort of wrestle with this, with this meta unit concept. Um, and so like, I feel like that's a case where like maybe that's that's me being a jerk and like sort of helping stifle uh you know innovation or people trying new things because I'm like well this doesn't feel comfortable uh but at the same time I'd be lying if I said there weren't a lot of moments in those early stages when it didn't kind of piss me off Yeah it's 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 strange when when you get so used to you're looking down at a battlefield and how how you're supposed to be able to interact with it, what sorts of things you're supposed to be able to do with it. Like you mentioned, you can't just drag a box around units that are part of an army in, in ashes. And it, it almost feels like, why, why can't I? Like, why isn't this working? It's like when your computer freezes up and you're trying to get it to do what you want and, and it won't do anything. Um and again, I don't know if that's that's just me being like overly conservative. Like I want every RTS to control like StarCraft, which honestly I wouldn't mind if every RTS <laughs> controlled like StarCraft. Um, or if if it, you feel like it's a legitimate thing that, you know, in the sense of why why fix what isn't broken? Why try to be different just for the sake of being different? Um, I had an example of this the other day just to illustrate the kind of potential annoyance of an interface quirk um i was playing uh heroes of the storm which is based on starcraft yeah um the engine i mean and also partially the mythology but um and there's a character who um throws owls across the map that you can use to kind of scout and it used to be that you could click on the mini map and send the owl that way but they changed it so that you can't and so I just kept constantly shooting the my owls to the bottom right of the screen where the mini map is. And I'm oh like, why are these God. owls not working? <laughs> yeah, that's that's annoying. And, you know, eventually I figured out, oh, the last patch, they must have changed how these these map clips work. And with a like I think she's the only character who had someone with a cooldown that was like ten seconds or less that you would actually have to worry about that with. But oh man, that for the, like the first half of that match, I was just like, "Why is this interface broken? It's not working the way it used to." And I think my team still won, so I guess I managed to figure it out. It's not the most important uh, uh, skill, but it was just baffling when i was doing it i just like did not understand why my why my hands were doing this thing that was making the wrong thing happen um so for me like talking about people like just expecting certain things now um misuse of tooltips 
uh, is like, yeah. or, or, or just failing to use tooltips. Uh, I, I expect now a lot of games to, like, if I'm hovering over something, that's not me deep in thought. That's me wondering, like, what happens if I push this button? What is this icon? <laughs> and the game, it sure as shit better realize that. And, like, I, I think Paradox were sort of, like, leaders in this. I feel like they were sort of the... I, I feel like even, maybe we, like, years ago, people tended to make fun of them uh, on this podcast a little bit because they were so aggressively using, like, tooltips uh, to sort of replace manuals, uh, almost. But now I kind of, like... If you do it really well, that that really works, and I sort of expect, like, I don't expect tooltips to fully replace a manual, but I expect to have like a lot of in-game support uh, from that. I'm like, this is a solved problem now. Like, you can provide tons of contextual help. The paradox had to be the ones to do that. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah. Well, well, even comparing Victoria Two to EU Four, I think they have taking it a step further than that from to the point that they're making it so you don't even have to use tooltips as much. Like, I've been playing uh, a little bit of Supreme Ruler Ultimate lately, and that game has good tooltips. The problem is it has a thousand tiny icons on every single menu screen, and it basically is like reading, reading a manual. You're like, okay, I'm going to open up the politics screen now, and I'm going to spend 10 minutes hovering over every single one of these buttons and reading the tooltips and trying to see if I can figure out what I'm supposed to be using this menu for. Whereas I think some some newer strategy games, EU4 being a great example, have started to set up their interface in a way where it's it's fairly intuitive, you know, what certain buttons on certain screens do, whether it's TJ, just... TJ, you know, I think you are so far down the Paradox rabbit hole. <laughs> like, well, I, I just... <laughs> Just in terms of like having a button that says boost stability instead of like okay. a little crown with a plus sign that you have to like hover over <laughs> it and fair. read two paragraphs of text and it like tells you what you know stability is and what boosting your stability does. Like it I think it's possible to create an interface for a very complex strategy game like EU4 or like Supreme Ruler even that does not require you to spend twenty minutes reading tooltips because it's it's built some intuitiveness into the the icons, the placement of those icons, and the labeling of the the buttons themselves. I guess I I feel <laughs> like there's still so much like at this point in Paradox Games like assumed. I don't know. I just I, for me when I look at those games, I still don't think like the iconography is particularly like helpful or strong. I just think that Paradox have succeeded in cultivating their audience to sort of like, it's a weird, weird visual language kind of that Paradox speaks, but like once you've learned it, you can kind of like intuit like all their games now. They, they all kind of share that, uh, share that, <laughs> share that common, that, that common uh, visual language. Uh, but I do wonder how much they've really improved that versus how much their tooltips taught us all this stuff over the course of the last few games and now we just sort of look at it and it's like well yeah of course of course that's of course that's how to reduce interest rates and boost the treasury <laughs> why wouldn't it be it's a burlap know. sack <laughs> i still i still feel like the first time i picked up eu4 i was not anywhere near as bewildered as the first time i've picked up vicky 2 that interface is terrifying if you've never seen it before but, i mean they've definitely improved i think I think the the issue is sort of whether it's improved in a way that is intuitive. I, I don't know that that's the right word to use. Also, they like I mean, 
this is a little unfair though, right? Because like at the same time, and you know, much love to Paradox, but they also haven't tried anything that's got as many complicated concepts at work uh, as that's as true. Vicky. So. I think Vicky actually has a pretty decent visual language. Like, all those little icons for classes. Like, prosperous-looking <laughs> banker dudes. Like, um, what's his name on the Isle of Sodor? Um, Sir Topham Hat. Uh, he's your capitalist. Of course he would be. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, to that point, though, you know, regarding tooltips, like, that's one thing I sort of expect to be there. Uh, actually, though, anytime. Anytime there's sort of an indifferent attitude towards pe- teaching the player your game, like the moment I like click on tutorial and a video player pops up, I'm like, oh. uh-oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh no. Yeah, and, and I was I was having this the same uh same issue picking up Supreme Ruler. Like they have a lot of uh they have a tutorial in the game, but it'll often dead end with like and so, yeah, mess around with this menu and figure out, you know, the rest of the way that it works. Because, like, they'll go over it really quickly, and then it's like... And, yeah, and then, you you know, you can figure out the rest on your own. Like, it's... it's um, I'm trying to think of, of the phrase that, that ties together the idea that I, I have on this, but... Uh, like, anytime um, they sort of just turn you loose with this idea of, like, you'll learn through experimentation... Right, like, yeah. and, and and there's something to be said for like, oh, the modern strategy gamer has a wiki open in another window and is watching Let's Plays, you know, when they're not, you know, at work on yeah, their no. VR glasses. The modern strategy gamer yeah. has that has <laughs> yeah. that by choice. That is by choice because they're getting more enjoyment out of it. But they probably yeah. didn't like. That's not how we sit down to enjoy the game the first time out. We're not like, oh so, boy, Stellaris is out. Let me you, you, <laughs> let me hook up the second monitor. Put the wiki up there. Uh, yeah, open here's, Reddit. Here's what anything, it is. That, anything that opens the wiki as your your health no. goes to an external window, <laughs> takes you out of the game. Yeah. That's yeah. that's not a good sign. It's like I could have done that myself, but no. It's it's any. It's when I'm playing a strategy game, and if if I'm like in the fiction of like I'm a I'm a 19th century capitalist, or like I'm a I'm a medieval monarch. Like I want to know. Uh, in terms of like actions i would understand as a human being i want to do x and i think that a good strategy game will be like okay you want to do x well here's how that translates into our system and how you do x in our game like that's that's a key thing like if 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 the game doesn't teach you how do i deploy my armies to the middle east it's it's kind of a failure as as a 20th century geopolitical simulator because that's a core thing that a ruler of an industrialized nation in the 20th century might want to do is deploy their armies to the Middle East. And if that's they really not even don't covered to, but, yeah. in any of the hints, well, you, you don't want it to. It depends on life. what part of the 20th century, though. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. the question. Like, there, yeah. there's, there's a right time and a wrong time. Uh, yeah. I, I think, uh, boy, I mean, talk about like naval transport uh, of any kind is really where the rubber meets the road no, in terms of like knowing what things are going wrong. to be able to get that right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like, increasingly it seems to just be like this is automatic we're trying to just you know click everyone's the button got and we'll don't worry about yeah, it yeah, yeah and you know there there are advantages to that and that you know it doesn't piss someone like me who hates playing on islands off but uh like it really seriously hampers any sort of naval tactics it well i don't know i think 
I think it didn't bother me so much in the recent crop of Civ games uh, because there aren't so many units in that game that it feels... Not that you can't have big armies, but you're not doing the kind of thing that you were doing in Civilization 2 where you'd have like a dozen transports all carrying, you know, three units or something. And you just like suddenly have like, you know, 40, 50 units appear uh, somewhere, Um, which for every time it was kind of cool where you'd sort of have to have escorts for your big convoy and everything. It was just such a it was just such a garbage experience trying to like cue those transports up. Uh, do you remember in total annihilation? Uh, Chris Taylor. Yes. Uh, I, I feel like Chris Taylor, uh, bless his heart. Didn't even learn his lesson after total annihilation. Cause I feel like he had tra- goofy transport mechanics in later games as well. But I remember one faction total annihilation had this transport uh, that had this really cool animation where this huge boom arm would come and like magnet up one of the, your yeah. troops off the transport and then like swing out and drop it on the shore. Uh-huh. Really cool. The problem is it needed a clear space to put those units or otherwise the boom would stop working. And there were I remember a lot of units so, in that game. There were a lot of units, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I remember like so many naval invasions just going completely pear shaped. Uh, like basically every beach was like the opening of like it was like Mecca saving Private Ryan, except nobody could get the actual like door down on the on the LCI. So like I remember I have these awful units. I was like, okay, unload there, and they like unload the first wave of uh, of robots. And then they'd freeze and be like, well, sorry, the beach is full, so I guess we're just going to stop <laughs> moving here. And then you have to issue the order again. Good thing the transports could only co- carry like 25 units or something like that. <laughs> uh, so it was just awful. It was just awful. That's why like every – like I, I think they invented hover units in that game just because it was kind of this tacit admission. Like, well, naval transport totally doesn't work, so what if, <laughs> what if you just don't? Um but yeah, I feel like that's that's one of those things where, um, you know, it, it it's not the first thing you'll see, but when you discover that someone didn't think this through or didn't create a good system to make naval transport like not miserable, uh, that's that's usually a pretty a pretty serious warning sign. Going back to sort of learning games, though, the other thing I want to say, and this is kind of a weird. It's, it's one of those things where it can be a very Goldilocks situation and it can be a little too much or a little too little, but I really dislike when a tutorial scenario doesn't produce like reliable results that actually teach me something about a game. Um, like an example of this was, uh, going back years, A Force More Powerful, which was the... Uh, strategy game of nonviolent resistance, uh, in which you learned a lot of great lessons about how damn effective the coercive power of the state really can be. Uh, but it had this it had this uh, opening scenario where you're trying to depose a corrupt mayor, and the problem with that scenario was it taught you like the basic mechanics of the start of the game of of getting a movement going. 
but it didn't teach any of these strategic concepts behind the game. And then it just kind of took its hands off the wheel and was like, well, just play around with the scenario. And once you figured it out, uh, you'll really have the game on lockdown. But the problem is it, it sort of let you go so early that that scenario could play out any number of ways from that moment. And most of them bad. Uh, and, and, and so it was this, it was the situation where like, I had learned how to do things within the game, but the, the tutorial hadn't remotely taught me whether or not they were the right things to do. And it just sort of let, left me to grope along that scenario again and again, trying different things until, I don't know, I eventually sort of stumbled on the correct way to, to approach, uh, you know, derailing a, a civic government but that that's always like i don't want a tutorial that's so completely on rails that it's this just like slog right like i didn't i didn't like the xcom 2 tutorial uh at all mm -hmm. but at the same time like from a tutorial scenario i want to feel like some concepts have been illuminated for me and when i don't get that feeling the tutorials kind of taught me like how to push the right buttons to make stuff happen, but not what stuff I should be trying to make happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there, there's issues. I can't remember an example now, but like a game where the tutorial is actively more difficult than much of the game. Um, I, I, it's going to bug me until I remember what game I'm trying to think of here, but um, like you get stuck in this sort of you know you only have two units and if you didn't like attack immediately when the tutorial kind of said so then you just get in this world war one situation where you're just trying to bust something down for two hours and it's supposed to be 15 minutes long like oh yeah God, we talked about this on this this there is a there is a discussion we all had on this podcast about this about a game that did something like this and i can't remember what it is um, another example is something that like doesn't give you all the information that you really actually need. Um, Total Warhammer did this, which is kind of amazing given that most of the rest of the tutorial in that was really good, I thought. But um, it basically had the similar sort of thing where you got a cool cinematic battle to learn that. Then you kind of learned your simple economy stuff and your sent your units to go fight another battle so you learn map movement. And then it says go attack this town. But if the turn after you fought that initial map movement battle, you didn't sit down and recruit new units, you would probably lose that town battle. And that would like stunt yeah. your growth for the entire rest of the game because you really need to expand early and quickly in that. So that, that was... I mean, I don't know that that was like a huge thing. Once you realize it, you can um, sort of work with it. But just an example yeah. of a tutorial, it doesn't gets most right, but doesn't quite get everything. I don't think there has been a, t a Total War game that is good at teaching the player. Like what Rob was alluding to, the strategic concepts that are required to be successful, because if you've played Total War for a while, you know, for several iterations, those things are, are fairly, you know, second nature at this point, but it, it is kind of counterintuitive, the sorts of, uh, especially early decisions you need to make in a Total War game to be strategically successful, and especially with all that they keep changing around, how settlements work, and it's just getting <laughs> muddled and confused at this point, in, in my opinion. I'm not sure that they, they really know what 
what they're going for with their civilian economy stuff, but they they don't they don't they don't impress on you what best practices are on the campaign map um as opposed to just you know on the battlefield now that may be kind of impossible um without saying here's how you win the game uh just it's complex enough that that's the case so that there are definitely ways that it could be improved but uh, it's hard to see sh- short of you know screaming out build tall not wide early on um <laughs> they would be able to do better than that I've got another. I've got another pet peeve, but I'm I'm curious if someone else has something to offer. I have a big kind of deep one, which we seem to yeah. be slowly expanding. So, I mean, this sort of goes a lot tags along with the interface stuff. Um, it's basically when you don't know why what you're doing isn't working. Um, yeah. So my best example for this are the the recent football manager games. You set up your teams, you send them out onto the field, you say, all right, I've got good players at all these positions, but I'm losing my games, or I'm not winning enough of my games, or whatever. Everything is a draw, I don't know why my midfielders aren't making the right passes, whatever. And then, you know, somebody said they went to... uh, they went to like really learn how those things worked and like here's the simple guide to football manager 15 or whatever and it was like a 197 page document and like i remember when i was playing championship manager in 2000 you know you change your formation to something more attacking and see if that works and sometimes that could work whereas when i played football manager there were like six thousand variables and i couldn't figure out which variables were the wrong ones and this is Something that I think uh, for access has done really well with lately is they're trying to pare down the number of strategic decisions that you have to make and show what the variables going into all those decisions are. Uh, Paradox has also done very well with this, especially with Crusader Kings, um, whereas something like the EU for trade routes, like somebody who knows those systems told me you want to get your ships up to 65% on those. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just going to go with that. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but it's the only way I can make any kind of sense of that system. Whereas something you, like, you want to know a secret? What's the secret? I'm, I'm, I made that number up off the top of my head. <laughs> I don't think, I think it was a Roomba, not you. <laughs> I, I actually, my, the number I used to tell people was 60. I think, yeah, Roomba might, might've said 65, but I have no idea. That's just, what seems like a nice number to me yeah. for trade power in EU fours, yeah. sixty percent or higher. <laughs> I mean, he seems like the sort of person who would have calculated yeah. that and figured Aruba out. Might might know better, a lot better. He probably does know a lot better than I do why that specific number is a good number. But but yeah, like the yeah, uh, just like give me a sort of simple rule to go along with. And like in Crusader Kings, you have the most important things you have are like your relationships with other people here are the problems with those some of those things can be yeah. fixed some of those things can't be fixed why well, does this and, do kate me oh that's why i killed his dad and uh, it's it, it ties exactly back into what i was saying about the game teaching you how to take actions that you logically right. decide you want to take crusader kings will also like i want to go to war with the guy next to me and it's like well in crusader kings if you can't go to war with him it'll at least tell you why and it'll give you some idea of how you can get on the path to war with that person. Whereas I feel like a lot of games are like, I want to, I want to build a battleship. It's like you can't. The button's grayed out. It's like, well, what, what steps could I take to make that button not grayed out anymore? It's like, 
Well, you're going to have to go look on the wiki because it's going to take five pages to explain and we're sure not going to do it for you. Or even just what what can I do to improve beyond simply like what do I have to do in order to do this? And yeah. like in Civilization Five, that's a super transparent game. Like here are the you know exact number of shields your city is producing. Here are the trade routes that you're getting going to get X amount of money from, but they might be hard. One might be harder to defend than the other. That kind of thing. Um, and uh, XCOM especially. The new ones seem to be built on this idea of make give as much information as you can to the player that they need and have them make very direct decisions based on that and nothing else. And like that's those are good things. Whereas you know, with Football Manager, I've just like I I love these games, but I just don't know what actually might change how this is going to work. Yeah, that one's that one's tough for me though, because like football manager games, the way they're trying to simulate sports, they're trying to capture all that complexity, right? So that like it's mm-hmm. they, they want to make it as difficult as possible to for you to like figure out that system and then be able to like generate reliable results. And so I'm always like on the one hand, like basically, is that a problem that's inherent to that type of game? Well, I I think that um, I think it's definitely an, an issue of it's in my opinion better to as we've been discussing pick your battles in terms of the choices you want a player to make instead of trying to expose every possible choice that they could make thinking about something like sports in a real world context um, and I think it, in Football Manager's defense I have played a little bit of the recent one and they do let you. Um, give a lot of stuff to your assistant coaches, which I think is kind of a good middle ground. Like if I hire a good assistant coach and I put him in charge of all the stuff I don't understand, you know, that I'll, I'll be okay in those fields. But then that also goes back to the Hearts of Iron 3 versus Hearts of Iron 4 discussion, where in Hearts of Iron 3, there was arguably more complexity, but a lot of it was expected that you would automate it. Like you would give it to AI sub commanders and, for Hearts of Iron 4, they were like, we don't want to do that. Like, what's the point if you're just automating everything? You know, it's You're not playing the game anymore. The game's just playing itself. Which is why I think the stronger argument is the one that, you know, limit, limit the interesting choices to, like, what is going to create interesting moment-to-moment gameplay and, and that the player is actually going to want to care about. Yeah. I mean, the counter-argument for the football manager thing is, okay, let's say your issue is training, you've assigned training to your assistant coach, you have no idea that that assistant coach is messing it up. That's true. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, see, then that's, like for me, that's, that's Eastside, right? So when, I, when, I'm, when I'm playing Eastside Hockey Manager, I'm like, okay, um, why is my scouting program garbage? And I'm like, I'm just, okay. <laughs> I, I must just be like reading these players wrong. Like I just don't know enough about like recruiting top prospects. And then like like when I was getting into this game, the moment I realized that my scouting staff also had like values of like how good they were at spotting different things or identifying different types of prospects and you could use them like more effectively or less effectively, I was like, oh shit. Like, cause, cause then it was like, cause, cause then it was like suddenly like the call was coming from inside the house, right? <laughs> it was like, wait, 
so I know I have these problems with my team. But it's possible that maybe the numbers the game is showing me are maybe not entirely true, or I don't like, or there's there's people I have working in my organization that maybe make my ability to evaluate players well, trickier, and, and, and that's really scary. Yeah, and that's a that's another interface issue. I at least part of it is an interface issue is the fact that like the, those games use star ratings to represent player skills and to anyone who's played video games for any amount of time like if you see a star rating next to someone's stats whether it be like a fighting unit or a player in a sports game or whatever you assume those are hard and fast and those games don't do a good enough job of explaining to you that that's that's just what you think their stats are it's not actually necessarily what their real stats are yeah and then aren't there aren't there some sports management games that have secret stats or maybe that's standard now in, in many of them, but I, but I feel yeah. like there's at least a few that, like, there are some stats that just aren't going to be revealed, uh, but they are there. Football or Championship Manager used to have those, like, leadership stuff was hidden and, like, clutchness or whatever they called it. Um, but I think those are those are things that you can see now in Football Manager, but you just can't trust them. Um. I recall there being options about whether you should, like, the stats should be something that you can trust, um, so you could play the game with a more omnipotent point of view, but I don't I don't remember if that's accurate. Yeah. But uh, So as we wind this down, let's get petty. Uh, let's just talk about, like, just things the moment you see it. Um, you're like, you're like, well... You've already failed. You know, you, you just see it and you're like, well, the hell with you. Uh, I got two. Uh, one is crappy magic systems in fantasy strategy games. Oh, Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but, like, you give me a spell book that's just like, and if you hit this army with Ice Bolt 3, it will do X amount of damage to all the units in that. I'm like, go to hell. Like, no, that's, that is not magical, sir. That is, there's no, there's no magic about it. Um... The other thing I would say is, uh, and this is more common to war games, but like the moment I see like a blue taskbar appear at the top and a Windows 3.1 style interface <laughs> appear beneath it, I'm like, oh, it's one of those games. It really, yeah, it really is. Interface just makes such a huge difference in terms of whether I, I, I can figure out whether I, I'm going to enjoy a game or not. Well, just... and, and I, I, just, no, I feel like, like in wargaming in particular, like there's, yeah. there's rough interfaces and there's crude interfaces. And, like, and then there's wargame interfaces that I feel are just actively like hostile to you. Like, like you just walk in and it's, it's just like a mean drunk at the end of a bar. What do you want? Leave me alone. <laughs> And if you're, like, maybe willing to talk the guy down or something, he can give you a rousing game of John Tiller's Battleground series <laughs> or something like that. But unfortunately, first, you've got to wrestle with the fact that he's a belligerent asshole. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so along those lines, like, just load times in general. Like, if I'm going into the game and it takes two minutes to load... Um, since I said something mean about Total Warhammer earlier, I'll say something nice about it here, which is that like the Total War series has been especially bad with that, and Warhammer was just like, how the hell is this loading so fast? Like, what changed between the last six installments and and this? So I I don't know, but like just 
if it takes too long between turns, if it takes too long to get into the game, if it takes too long to load a battle total war, then I'm just going to be unhappy. Since, since you bring up total war, I just remembered another one that bothers me about total war is like artificially inflating difficulty by giving the enemy just like a crap load of money. I just remember playing Attila Maybe it might have been Rome too, yeah. actually, but probably to a lesser extent in Attila, where Attila did it too. I would have like some minor barbarian faction that I'd been fighting for a while against the ropes, like push back to their last settlement, and they're still able to field like three full stack armies. Like to me, that's almost immersion breaking. Like it's like I I don't feel like I'm in the sort of world that they're trying to present to me because I can tell. That this is just, they're getting unlimited money because uh, they're artificially inflating the difficulty for me. It doesn't have anything to do with the access to resources that they have or, you know, what their population is or how built up their settlement is. Which is why I really respect a game like Hearts of Iron 4 because everyone, you know, plays by the same resource rules. If you deny someone iron, you know, that they won't be able to build really much of anything anymore. Or steel, I guess it is, in, in, in Hearts of Iron. Whereas, like, I, I hate it in, like, a Total War game when it's like, oh, yeah, I can torch the countryside all around their capital and they'll be economically crippled and then I'll be able to take them out really easily. And it's like, uh, no, because then the rubber banding is going to kick in and they're still going to be able to field the same amount of armies they were before. That's actually particularly bad in the Total War series because so much emphasis was put on this idea of, like, controlling the countryside and, like, raising villages and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, but then they fall back to the provincial capital and in two turns, they've got a full stack army. Like, yeah, doesn't it doesn't even matter what you did. Uh, well, it, it makes it impossible to predict what you're going to be going up against because you realize no one plays by the same rules as you. So you're like, okay, if I were down to one settlement, I know how many troops I would potentially be able to field, and I know what to expect in that case. But with the AI, it's just like, oh yeah, they're always going to have two to three doom stacks, regardless of how much you've beaten them down. That, that series has always struggled with providing sufficient difficulty to the player without artificially manipulating things. And yeah, and I've never felt the AI has had a good grasp on like scaffolding up to higher tech levels. Like I always feel like the solution has been in general to get stingy with the player rather than like enable the AI to to build like super advanced armies so like the thing that i just never i i never quite feel like i see enough of in most total war games is like dream army versus dream army type battles where yeah. it's just like mm -hmm. everyone's just bringing out just the biggest guns the most elite infantry and cavalry and it's just like awesome like that usually it feels like way too much of those games is spent with like crap tier units and then a couple of good units in reserve which to be fair like looked over the course of military history that's how most wars tended to be fought <laughs> uh but at the same time you know at a certain point you you kind of want that um you know you want the the helms deep experience you you want the uh the 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 armies of samurai in in ron uh what you don't want is you know identical armies of like peasant spearmen doing battle yeah, exactly. on turn 400 yeah it's it's like you, you i played uh as the danes in, in age of charlemagne and it's like oh yeah i'm mounting this 
great Viking invasion of, of England, it's like levy spearmen against nearly identical Anglo-Saxon levy spearmen. Like, there's nothing special about either of these two sides that yeah. makes them distinct or or historically flavored. You know, game got that right, though. Medieval won. That, that, That's true. But everyone fielded their best stuff. By the end of that game, mm, those were some armies. Even they, even though some of those units were like absurd, like the goblins. Oh, oh like you're gonna like you're gonna complain about the fact they made Viking Huskarls like unkillable. Like I can only imagine. Just no, not, like not just... not not the Huskarls. Like the units that didn't make any sense. Okay. Like like the the highest tier Norwegian unit was the Sami Axemen, and it's like oh yeah, all those like random Finns that they <laughs> they recruited into the Norwegian army that they were the most elite units they had, except that, no, that never happened. So This is something I think Total Warhammer does do, especially with, like, the orc units and the vampires, is it's like, yeah, you're going to want to have a lot of trash to surround your good stuff. It kind of integrates that into the lore. Um, And it also artificially pushes the player by having a pretty steep, like mid-game invasion of horrible evil assholes so it's it takes it sort of does it artificially on one hand and naturally on the other which i think is kind of the best you can do uh wildly overused device uh in forest games in particular uh fourth wall breaking gags um, anytime you're sort of like calling attention to the fact, like, boy, these sure are cliched sci-fi or fantasy armies, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. I guess we're all in on the same joke. And I'm like, no, we aren't, because it was your job to create something new and interesting, and it was no, my, and, I, and I'm here to play it. That's that's actually across media, not even just games. But one of the things that'll get me to like turn my nose up at something almost immediately is if I like open up like the first page or like I look on the cover and it's like an elf, a dwarf, a wizard and a dragon. And it's like the stock, like Tolkien descended forgotten realms esque like bog standard high fantasy. I'm like, there's, there's just so many different ways you can go with that. Like, please people just come up with some new ideas for like fantasy races and stuff. I, 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 I can't stand that. Like there are so many fantasy games strategy games rpgs that it's like oh yeah we have to have elves dwarves orcs and dragons in this because those are the four main ingredients of fantasy and it's not a real fantasy game if we don't include that stuff it's like (laughs) yeah exactly put in some put in like put in armadillo people like have some like well that'll fix it i don't know puffer fish people i don't know like (laughs) just just be a little more creative tj are you on the dominions train I am not yet. You might want to. You might want to check that out. I feel like you have the patience to get into those systems. Okay, I will. I will give that a look. So here's my petty thing: is real time strategy games that don't automatically put your troops in formation. Like I can deal with StarCraft because <laughs> StarCraft is like the top tier, whatever. But if you're just throwing a pile of crap at another pile of crap, like I'm just <laughs> this is not interesting to watch. It's not interesting yeah. to play. And um, like we've been able to do this since like Age of Empires or Rise of uh, Rise of Nations. Like, yeah. like come on. I mean, like, do I look, really have to put my archers back there? When you look at like how great that last Homeworld game felt. Or I guess when you remember that, not look at it. But if you just like take a look at those armies moving into position and like how clear each 
sort of movement step is towards what you want to do and then you compare it to a starcraft like jumble of units it's really hard to say that uh the non-formation thing offers anything yeah i mean it it offers that that opportunity to like display skill but yeah i think for mo like it's just not i just want my stuff to work and be cool and (laughs) have it just be like crappy isn't isn't what i'm there for right that's not like i like i'm so much happier like boy homeworld i was going through my screenshots folder a while ago and i was i was sort of going through all the 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 screenshots i took during homeworld of which i took far too many because i'm someone who starts the screenshot recorder going and then i forget it's running (laughs) and then i've got like two gigabytes of jpegs on my uh on on my hard drive which is a lot of (laughs) a lot of pictures uh, but I was looking at that that game, and I was like, "Damn!" Like just the screenshots, I was like getting excited, like staring at them, like, "Boy, that was a hell of a battle." I wonder if that tank made it. And I sort of click forward a few frames. <laughs> uh, no, I guess it didn't, but it took out that carrier. Yeah, yeah. All the interface things that we're talking about, like go go look at the Homeworld game, and that's that'll fix it. Yeah. Anyone else got like last petty objections, prejudicial comments? <laughs> Well, like when there's like a strategy podcast and they do a Hearts of Iron show and they don't invite me on, like that's that just irritates the hell out of me. That's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, the only thing worse is a strategy game podcast that will let anybody on, uh, like this one. No. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I think we'll we'll leave off our, our petty hatreds there because we're starting to turn against each other. <laughs> and uh, my bosom friend is starting to express his inner resentments. So I, I think the, this... the bosoms are starting to heave. That's that's what's going <laughs> oh, on. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> we're, if they start once the bosoms start to heave, we're, we're just like we're we're in the red zone before bodice ripping, and then yeah. God knows what's going to happen here. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go get some smelling salts. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Three Moves Ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is host on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners like you on Patreon. Uh, if you've been enjoying our show, please consider contributing at patreon.com slash 3MA and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, apologies for how disruptive we've how disrupted we've been this month uh, and this is the second month in a row. Uh, it's been like this in part because this move has been uh, far more complicated than I anticipated, and uh, my my new life in on the West Coast is is uh, a lot more super chill. Yeah, it's super Coast, chill, right? It's it's very chill. Everything about everything about the West Coast is like I, I just I would have been podcasting every week, but. I just sort of hung out on the beach and <laughs> surfed. Uh, that's 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 what that's what happens when you get off the plane to LAX. They they hand you a board and uh, say <laughs> "surfs up, dude," and that's pretty much it. Uh, but Patrick anyway, crazy clone teaches you. It's great. <laughs> It's, yeah, it really is a magical place. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll try to get uh, more on track uh, in in the weeks ahead, and hopefully re- uh, record a a bunch of episodes 
on quick succession here to sort of make up for the absences of the past couple weeks. Uh, anyway, we'll be back uh, next week. I am 90% sure with another I, episode of 3MA. I, I'm recording one on Sunday with Troy, so yeah. All right, see, then we're all good. Uh, until then, for Rowan and TJ, uh, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.